0: Welcome to Demo Jockeys. I'm Jack Cochran.
1: And I'm Adam DiTomaso.
0: We're continuing our conversation on the storytelling animal this week, and we're joined by Matt Madden, who is the host of the Path to Pre-Sales podcast. Matt,
2: welcome to the show. Hey, Jack, Adam, thanks so much. It's great to be here.
0: Uh, We're happy to have you. Yeah, it's... um, Adam, uh, we've gone through just you and I, Talking through this book, and often it's good good to get an additional perspective. So we thought, well, hey, let's oh, bring great. in someone else who has a fantastic podcast in and of his himself. Get him I a like copy of the try. book, have him read through it as well, and let's talk the three of us about some of these additional concepts. Before we do that, though, if you haven't picked it up, this is the book. We'll have a link in the description to the book. There's enough time for you to still read it. I definitely recommend it. We've been talking big things about the book. There it is on all three screens. If you want to get ahead of the book for next month, in December, we're going to be going through this book, Range, by David Epstein, talking about uh, generalists in a very specialized world. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to the conversation. So pick that up. Again, we'll have a link in the show notes in in the description. So Matt, again, welcome to the show. Yeah. Uh, before we dive into stuff around the storytelling storytelling animal, if I can even say it, <laughs> what was the inspiration behind the path to pre sales? What what was the inspiration behind your show? What's uh, what kind of brought you to having your own podcast?
2: Yeah, you know, being able to join demo jockeys for this book in particular really is special for me, and I appreciate the opportunity because hearing the story from others as I've been in pre-sales hearing how they got started for me is one of the things that along my journey has been most exciting and thinking about from a my own path and where I started and how I felt at just kind of such a low moment prior to working within tech knowing I wanted to transition and the journey from there for myself which I came to learn being what I felt was non-conventional, oftentimes the path into pre-sales is very unconventional, if you will, uh, I guess to use the, the proper form of the, the word. And that's what excited me about thinking, hey, you know, I love to create content to help people tell their story, hear those stories. And it seemed like the perfect opportunity for me to help others break in and learn about this role because for me it was a very much a black box so that's that's a big reason why I wanted to create kind of this the focus of the show having folks like yourself Jack I'm coming in for episode 15 of path to pre-sales tell your story and so many other great guests Um, so it's just been amazing the reception from the community and I just hope that I can encourage others through the lessons that folks like yourself and others are sharing to Really be able to see their see their own journey in those stories and relate to that and learn tips and tricks that are going to help them really just apply best practices and, and break into the role and grow from there.
1: I would love to hear a little bit of your like the history where like in the idea of what was your first role? What was that? I like to think that we all had a magic moment because you know, for a lot of us, we never had this, we never had path of pre-sales. We never had, we didn't even know what pre-sales was when we were put into that role, yeah. what it even was, or even if it was an opportunity to get into. So I'd love to hear about what was that kind of transmit transition moment for you, if you will, in your career.
2: I started my pres- professional career out of college in inside sales roles, um, and then did some outside sales work as well, but not really in a tech focus. It was Different different verticals, oil and gas. I also worked within um, everything from the music business, which I actually got my degree in. So working for a music licensing firm, um, and then uh, life sciences. And so there was this diverse background of different sales experience, which has helped me a lot. Just kind of putting my business hat on as as I learned. But I wanted to break into tech. Um, for me, you know. And I, knowing I, at the time, you know, going back in the time machine to around, let's say, 2016, I, my first son was on the way, and shortly after he was born, 2017, I was like, very focused at that point. I want to become an engineer. And I thought that's how you break into tech. And it's obviously a very viable and great path to pursue. And that's where I started waking up early, staying up late, you know, in between before my day job, after my day job, trying to build the technical skill sets using, taking online courses. You know, thankfully we live in a golden age of that, you know, when it comes to just great great content available but it was one of those things i was just on a warpath trying to really level up my skill sets there and i actually applied for a tech uh, an inside sales role at a tech company in 2018 uh called stratified and that's where somebody you know from a hero's journey perspective just to take like a story arc if you will who introduced me to say hey sounds like you want to put on your technical hat and you've got some, uh, you know, strong business background. Have you heard of solutions engineering? I want you to talk to this manager instead, because I, I don't think that, you know, the SDR position is really aligned with what it, where it sounds like you want to go. And that was um, that, that moment for me where I was like, okay, yeah, let's talk about that. And, and from there I was like, wow, man, I had never heard of that role before. And, you know, then shortly, you know, a couple of years into it, um, that's when Presos Collective got going. And, and it's just been amazing just to kind of learn more and realize that there are some amazing thought leaders in the space as well. And having the opportunity to speak with them and, and learn from people that have been doing it for years has, has been amazing.
0: What was your kind of path of learning about, not learning about the role, but learning in the role? Like, did were there books that you yeah. were recommended? Was there coursework that you took? Was it just training from someone? How did you get kind of up to speed? when you were starting your, your career?
2: Yeah. Uh, you know, huge credit to, uh, my, my first boss, uh, within stratified, um, who led the solutions team at that time, uh, his name is Lamont Gregory, really excellent, amazing leader. I learned just a lot within the role in terms of, uh, just watching him, shadowing others, um, coming quickly up to speed on the product itself. But I didn't at the time actually n- know that there had been, uh, books written up to that point that, um, could, could really help speak to best practices. Those weren't on my radar for, you know, at least a couple years later. Um, and so it was really just trying to, trying to network, um, getting connected with some of the virtual, uh, coffee chats that pre Collective got going and starting to meet others and, and just kind of tune in and listen in to, you know, I was kind of definitely more of an observer on the, on the LinkedIn social media front, but seeing, Hey, there's some people that have some really great ideas here around Things I know that I could relate to from what I was starting to learn in the role and wanted to take back and practice and just, you know, iterate and kind of get it and get in the reps there. So, yeah, I mean, I, that's that's what I say. I mean, I, I've always been a huge believer in being able to distill and take topics from. Um, other disciplines and think through how does that, how's that going to apply to what I'm doing professionally, whether that's in a pure sales role or, you know, now as a, as a pre-sales professional. So having that kind of open, open mind and kind of learner's mindset has, has helped me a lot. And I think that's, that's, uh, the, you know, bringing it back to the storytelling animal. I know it's not directly a pre-sales book, but it's one of those where there's just so many nuggets there that uh, as you guys have discussed already up to this point, And as we'll talk about today that, you know, our, you know, easy to bridge the gap and think through, you know, how see how it's going to add value uh, moving forward for, you know, my day to day and hopefully everybody that's listening.
0: That's great. I mean, that's, that's part of the reason why we do this. It's, it's weird how little resources people are aware that are out there, (laughs) Yeah, which is why I'm like, well, I wanted to start the show and let people know about it so that they see here, here's one more resource, but there's so many more. Um, As I've listened to your show, that's been an interesting thing that I've always taken away from it, which is how people not just found out about it, which is always interesting because it's someone saying you should do it. And usually it's that hero's journey of resisting. I don't want to do sales like it's normally the first piece. But then once they're in role, how they get educated on what to do, how they learn, you know, and I feel like now we're in such a better place than we were, you know, five, six years ago even around resources that are available and out there to get when you, if you're new to the space, there's no reason why you can't kind of hit the ground running with getting better at the craft and learning from others right away.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, Jack, I, I love you coming to tell your story. I, yeah, I would encourage others to go check that out, just kind of how, how you broke into in the role and how you've grown as a leader there. And I know we talked about, you know, just kind of interesting takeaways in, 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 in books in general during that episode. Adam, I was curious kind of to take your question to me, you, that you turned to me uh, just around, what, what was that pivotal moment? If you don't mind, I'd really love to hear your that part of your origin story, not, you know, just if, if you wouldn't mind speaking to that for me briefly, uh, like that moment you talked about out. what was that for you
1: oh i love telling stories jack knows this i yes i will happily tell you that sorry jack forgive me here we go if this is going off the rails i mean we may have here a much longer
0: episode today it's just what this is coming down to
1: absolutely <laughs> <sighs> okay i need a drink of water <laughs> so as i splash every no there's it's a funny story i um it's you said something about uh, earlier you, you know i had a, my wife children you know Family's growing, situation's changing. I got to kind of kick my career into overdrive. Mm-hmm. And I was in a very similar situation. My, my newly wedded wife was uh, pregnant and we were our family was growing. We were 28 years old. Life was changing big time for me. So with all of that being said, I was in tech support and I was pretty good at it. And I enjoyed tech support. I enjoyed talking to clients and I got to talk to people all day and help solve their problems. That was a lot of fun for me. Uh, in my career always had been in tech support. I got in and started working at a company called Stream. I did tech support for anything from cameras to Microsoft SQL Server to really date myself NT40. And long story short, I was working for a startup in marketing and web analytics called Sane Solutions. And uh, a sales manager heard me talking on the phone to a client and, like, hey, yeah, blah blah blah. Oh, this feature does this, you should get this. <laughs> And then they added that onto their contract. And then I got pulled into the CEO's office sweating, thinking I was fired. And I got a a ten grand raise. And and this is way back in 2002. I got a big raise, and I got a promotion, and I got put into the sales floor. And then they said, figure out how to demo. And I gave the most boring feature function demos on the planet that are the worst ever. But that was how I got into pre-sales. Very cool.
2: Well, thank, thank you for, for quickly taking me on that journey. <laughs> Jack, sorry to <laughs> throw it out there, we're but doing, it's man, like, I, that's it's why like I we're love doing it. up,
0: it's like We're doing a Path to Preso's episode in the middle of a Demo Jockeys episode right now, which is, I'm fine oh, with. Oh, why this. not? <laughs> Boom. <laughs> if you want to see more of Matt doing that level of quality interviewing, please do check out his, his podcast. Not, not a tongue in cheek, please do check it out. I've enjoyed listening to it. It's a great resource that's out there. Um, So yeah, I don't mind you uh, sharing a little bit about how your show goes in the middle of ours. That's perfect. But let's actually get to talking a little bit about the storytelling animal. Uh, So Matt, we had spent the past few episodes talking through things like mirroring, uh, looking for meaningful patterns, and... Both of those have made a real difference, I know, in how I think about and how I go about telling stories within my day-to-day already. I know Adam has talked about doing the same. It's really been making an influence in the way we approach our storytelling. Mm -hmm. Has there been something, as you've gone through the book, maybe it was one of those, maybe it was something else that you found has kind of influenced how you think about telling stories?
2: Yeah, definitely. So one thing I wanted to touch on is just when we're – thinking through, you know, towards the end of the book, they really get into the future of story. And it's something that's been on my mind a lot as I think about where things are heading from. Um, and this has been the been the trend, but continues to be the trend. And there's a lot of great resources talking about how to align to a uh, buyer's preferences in the sales motion. And like, how do I, when I think about the demo narratives um, that I might be helping, create talk tracks, um, even automated demos using, you know, a tool tool for that, like, like one we have at my current organization. Um, And, you know, as as listeners out there, I'm sure you could think of, you know, a handful off the top of their head, but you're you're thinking about that, what's going to be compelling, you've got, you know, attention span is more limited than ever. And we know we want to empower buyers. So when we think about what is the story in the medium on which we're telling that story, that is going to be most effective, and sticking with th- that as it evolves. there's um, something that I could just relate to because they they draw on the book the reference to how it, you know there are people that say the book the written word is is dead is like a strong medium, and it's shifting just completely to to uh, video or gaming, talking about how gaming is such a dominant industry compared to like the written word and so on. But I mean, even as those evolutions take place, I mean, that underlying structure that they call out of, you know, just kind of the the age old, you know, story structure and how effective that is regardless of medium um, is is just so key to keep in mind. So that really stood out to me, just thinking about, you know, regardless of, you know, whether it's a new demo automation platform or, you know, maybe it's a VR demo experience that we're all shifting to as an industry trend, keeping in mind the underlying constructs of story that make it really powerful, like you guys have talked about up to this point, uh, I, I think is really huge.
1: That's kind of interesting. So when you think about a story and like, how would you... Taking that idea of a story and putting it a little bit more of a mechanical focus around it and saying adapting that to a demo flow in the sense that we have to deliver this message. We have to wrap a story around it. Can you talk a little bit about the mechanics of that if um, or just how you would think about like including that story in execution?
2: Yeah. Well, one of the points you made, Jack, on a recent episode I thought was so great was making sure that the story, yeah, I loved how you guys kind of went back and forth around making sure it's not just this, Hey, there was a problem. And then there was a happy ending, but like actually leaning into the messy middle. Um, and that's one of those things, like a great book that I, I read a few years back, but as I was going through this and preparing for the show, I, was, I thought about is uh, creativity Inc by Ed Catmull. Um, and he was, you know, former CEO of uh, Pixar, and he, he talks a lot about this process of like when they start going through hashing out a story, um, and there's this messy middle, um, but how they lean into like parts of that, that like how that's so key and integral, and it really makes the story authentic and comes to, comes to life, and for for the person hearing the story. So I think you know part of that is just understanding. For me, when I think about going through uh, the demo, a ideally having solid, some decent discovery done up to this point, things that we can plan on, uh, and align our story to, um, in terms of you know questions we might ask along the way, as we think about how we're going to step through what we're showing and only aligning the order of what we're showing to what we know to be most relevant and all of these things that can really help just, um, give us good signals on this is the best place to maybe lean into a story and, and also, being mindful of if we've learned they had a challenge with a prior vendor, um, and it was, it was really rough and, and being mindful of the fact that they've, uh, Fall into uh, I guess the category I've heard Peter Cohen ca- categorize it as a burn victim, like they're a burn victim, like mm-hmm. you, you need to be mindful of that in the story you're telling. Um, and don't just paint a totally rosy picture here because the reality is, I mean, we've had implementations that we've learned from, and I'm sure most vendors have, and I, you know you guys have spoke to that from your experience, and just kind of yeah leaning into that in in all of those considerations. so that's a lot there, but hopefully that speaks uh to to some of the things I'm thinking about as as I've gone through this book and listened to your all's episodes.
0: Yeah, that I like that angle at thinking about it because we never really considered when we were talking about it as much of what's the, what's the current situation? Because I think about even most of the quote-unquote pre-built customer stories, you know, the slides that are ready to go that you can regurgitate, most of those take into account an assumption of the current state of the customer being there's a problem, but it's not. They, they're not the burn victim, right? Hmm. They may they may not have come, gone completely off the rails. They may not they may not have a they may have a problem where their hair is completely on fire, and that's the one problem. And we need to be able to adapt and change our story to fit that. Kind of like what you were talking about before was brought up by the end of the book. Everything that we do, whether or not it is a storytelling, can take these storytelling elements into it around, kind of giving a narrative from start to finish and that narrative might be starting with a completely broken issue and, and not even starting. We don't want to make the problem seem too rosy in our story. (laughs) If that's not going to be something they're going to relate to.
2: Definitely. And I mean, I've been in a scenario and I'm sure you guys have too. I mean, can you think to a time where you come in base, even knowing some decent information from what's been learned thus far in speaking to that potential new client. You come in, you're like, this story is going to be very well aligned. Um, you've got a plan, and you know it's the whole, I guess, Mike Tyson quote. You know, everybody has a plan until they get hit in the face or something, you know, something of that right. effect. And something so it's like, like yeah. what are, what are your stories on deck? Or being mindful that we might have to adapt. Like, maybe I shouldn't tell that story anymore. <laughs> right. So.
1: Or yeah. the wrong person's in the room, and that story could actually go over flatly, if you will. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, which actually kind of brings me to a, a, another question, and uh, th- this is interesting. It's a little bit off off topic to a degree, but it is on topic related really to pre sales. I'd like to point out, just interesting, like that all, all three of us are fairly creative people. Matt, you've mentioned that you know you have a history of music. I have a history of music. Jack, you have a you have a degree in acting. You're, and Jack, we all have this level of of entertainer value do you feel that that's helped you in your pre-sales career and the reason why I asked that question is because as I read this book um, and find myself becoming a better storyteller because I've read this book I still go back to my roots of what I did in the industry I was in before I was in the sales industry before I was in tech sales and pre-sales and I used still use some of those tools do you feel that creative people have an edge or do you feel that That kind of helps you in general with your activities and what you would want to train people in from a pre-sales perspective. Kind of a multi-layered question, but I hope that made sense.
2: (laughs) Yeah. No, I'm really glad you went that direction with the question. I personally do feel like it's helped me a lot uh, just from being comfortable, whether it's in person or virtual, where effectively you're taking a role being center stage in the conversation, you know, in in that meeting often. And it's something that, you know, I, I think if you are used to that, whether it's from performing on stage, uh, you know, musically um, in a, it could be a music theater capacity. It could be in a, like a live music capacity from like an instrumentalist. um, But certainly that, you know, years of experience there. I mean, I started guitar uh, college as a guitar major and then I pivoted when I was like, holy crap, my friends that are business majors are, probably going to make a lot more coming out of this. And they have more time to play guitar. they were music business majors versus a pure guitar major. <laughs> and I was like, man, what? I signed up for the wrong thing. So I, sw- I switched there and I, uh, but I still, I still play it. I loved it. And I mean, and you know, there's, there are parts of me, of course, in hindsight, I'm like, man, I wish I would have stayed in because I know my cho- my guitar chops would be just, you know, oh, that, that much further along, but, um, you know, which is kind of, kind of a nice thing from the Wobegon well effect. Cause like <laughs> that we can talk about later, but yeah, I, I, I do think it's strong, but if you don't have that background, like this, the, the book, I think calls out, it really highlights the fact that we're all probably a lot more creative than we give ourselves credit for. Like our mind is just naturally doing that when we're sleeping, when we're daydreaming and it speaks to all of that really deeply. And I thought that was an interesting takeaway because there's probably a lot of, you know, if you're out there, like I'm not, I don't have a musical bone in my body or I don't, you know, I don't have an an acting background and like maybe pre-sales isn't for me. I would say, well, don't pump the brakes just yet, you know?
0: Exactly. You can learn creativity, right? I mean, (laughs) there is some innate creativity that a lot of people have, but you can learn to take wherever you're at and become more creative. And so it's a skill that no matter what part of base part you start with, you can grow. And I think stuff like reading books like we just read here or honestly go – Sit in on, a, like, there are improv classes. There are, go pick up an instrument. Go, like, you're never too old to try. I think you'd be surprised at how much that can really drive your own professional development. Like, just try to be more creative. See what happens. You No one's going to no punish you for trying to be more creative in your life. Right. As you've thought about uh, your role and you've thought about the creativity that you've brought to a role... Um, are there times that that has, you've seen, you felt it's not beneficial. I don't know if there's a, a yay or nay answer, but has there been a time when you felt like being creative here is not something I want to do?
2: Yeah, I think for me, I found it to be an area where sometimes This could be the mentality of somebody who's coming from, you know, a practice driven background, um, whether it's from, you know, studying music or art or, you know, or acting is the discipline of taking my perfectionism hat off and being okay with, um, you know, trying to be maybe less creative, maybe not tweaking this or that uh, as often as I might feel like inclined to do and just say, you know, this is already pretty good. Uh, this is really good or where it needs to be. And I have these other things that I'm also bouncing on the priority list. So when it comes to shifting gears and doing that, that's something that I've had to be really mindful of is my tendency to, I think, uh, try to be a perfectionist. And, you know, I've had some great managers along the way that I've seen, Hey, like Matt, you, you're a great writer. You lean in from a creativity standpoint. Um, but I want to, want to make sure that you know, we we don't uh, spend as too much time trying to get it absolutely perfect because your your good is is maybe, uh, you know, a few notches not just higher than than others when it comes to that. So just be aware of that. And I, I'm not trying to say sound, that sounds like I've got my ego like way up here and I don't mean for that to sound that way. But no, 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 I'm not. That's my struggle. It's
0: it's it's calling to the attention to the fact that as you focus on your creativity, it can be something that can bog you down and right. you don't get worked on because you feel like everything I do now has to be out of a creative lens. <laughs> exactly. So that's definitely something worth keeping in check. I love it.
1: It's funny. I I just like to close on one quick thought though. That this whole conversation reminded me a line from the book. A life story is not however an objective account. A life story is a carefully shaped narrative that is a re- that is replete with strategic forgetting and skillfully spun f- meanings, just like a demo. <laughs> yeah, just like a demo,
0: indeed. It's not <laughs> you're not going to get everything, but you got to get a little, and you have to figure out that editing piece. You're not showing the full, the end to end. Yeah. Uh, so we are about out of time for this episode, but but worry not, listeners. If you're binging this, Matt is going to be on for the next episode. We'll continue the conversation right where we've left off. But meanwhile, um, Adam. If someone wants to know where to check this out, where should they go? Oh, they should go to YouTube
1: or any place where they can get their favorite podcast. And YouTube, if you want to see our handsome smiling faces and what crazy T-shirt I'm wearing this week. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's a good one.
0: It, 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 it's it's definitely a good one. It is. Also, check out DemoJockeys.com. You can find links to the books we've read, the books that are coming up, as well as listen to the episodes right there as well. But that's going to do it for us today. We'll see everyone In the next episode, thank you, Matt, for joining us, and we'll uh, see you in the next episode there, too.
2: Thank you. Thanks, everyone.
1: Thanks, everybody.